I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Down the middle, scores! First career goal, Austin Wagner. Here's Luff looking for his first, scores! Matt Luff, first NHL goal, and the Kings have the lead. What's Luff got to do with it? Hello and welcome to Crown Conversations, a special post-draft edition, or really that should be a post-marathon edition because, oh my goodness, that was long. Uh, Joining me today is the effervescent Sarah A. and James Nicholson. He's having some tech problems right now, but he will join us when he can. Sarah, thanks for joining me. I'm so glad to be here. I'm so glad that like, I I feel like we're actually still on like round three of the draft and we're just, (laughs) you know, pretending that it's over. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what? That draft is the perfect epitome of 2020. Oh, absolutely. Aside from being the perfect encapsulation of 2020, there were some interesting moments that came out of the draft. Do we have James? Yeah, I'm here. Yay. 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 Welcome, James. Sorry. That was dumb. I have to use my not new expensive thing I just bought for better audio quality that now just doesn't work. (laughs) Technology is like that. Technology never works when we want it to. Um, So, marathon long... Oh. Uh, you're kind of crackly, but that's okay. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so, we had a couple interesting names that came up in the draft today. Of course, everyone wants to go to the obvious Alex LaFerriere. Uh, you know, the light version of Alexi Lafreniere. Lafreniere. Bizarro world version. Yeah. <laughs> because, of course, 2020. Um, Helga Grant, the all-team, the all-name team. Did you know that they were going to take a defenseman in the second round? I had a feeling that they yeah, would. Yeah, I just, I just assumed that they would, and I think that they know that's uh, a position that they still need help in, in, in finding you know, elite kind of level defenseman. And Helga Granz is actually someone who I, I know there was some kind of talk of the Kings 
trying to trade back up into the first round. And I wouldn't have been surprised if they were doing it to try to get him um, because Granz is someone who was projected to go in the late first round and just sort of slipped because the first round was, there were so many like weird players like Columbus <laughs> picking a player that wasn't even ranked. Um, <laughs> there were so many like strange choices that bumped people down. Um, but he's someone who I had heard the Kings kind of looking at. And so I, I, as he, as they kept ticking down in the draft and he wasn't picked, I was like, this is the guy that they're going to get um, with that first pick. I like that they got two defensemen in that, in that second round made a trade to move up a couple of places to get uh, Brock Faber, who looks like if you look up his picture, he just looks like the sweetest little nerd, um, which I, I think is a great quality to have. Isn't Brock Faber one of those, another one of those character picks? Um, I, maybe a little bit. He was kind of compared to Charlie McAvoy in regards to like his playing style. So, um, you know, brings some kind of offensive upside and just, and, and, you know, skating and everything. Um, there were a couple guys a little later on in the draft that were more like, this guy might not be a great, this guy's probably going to be in your bottom six, but he's a real great guy. Um, <laughs> but I think that was be, Martin Chromia. Yeah. I think, well, for so was it, it was either him or Mark or Ben Meehan, but I think it was Martin Chromiak because I distinctly remember being like, Hey, look, there are these guys that are super high ranked and they're supposed to have a lot of skill, but you went for the, character pick shocking well Kromiak is actually is someone who probably should have been drafted higher he he's a little younger than he's one of the younger birthdays in the draft and whenever I tweeted about him uh being drafted by the Kings I got some tweets from people who, who I know follow prospects really closely and they were like really annoyed that the Kings got him instead of their team so I think he's someone who Maybe maybe a little bit of a character pick, but is also someone who has been kind of an elite, like kind of a uh, elite is probably too strong of a word. I feel like elite gets kind of thrown around too much uh, in hockey, but he's someone who has scored basically at every level he's played at um, and hopefully will be able to continue that trend. But yeah, there were definitely a couple of guys towards the end where the, the main scouting report on them was like, is a real good kid. <laughs> uh, yeah james is actually back with us i am i finally figured everything out yay and, and i feel a lot better i'm less panicky and yeah <laughs> so uh, um oh my gosh yeah martin chromiak i really like this pick uh i mean he played basically in like slovakia's men's league like their top league mm -hmm. and like was having a hard time contributing. Like he's, I think he might have only recorded like one point in his time there. And then he goes to the OHL and ends up on that top line, just like at a random point in the season. And he's playing with, um, uh, uh, wisdom who I think Detroit took. And, uh, the guy who is going to be a top prospect next year, who is it? Shane winter. Why am I blanking on this name? That sounds familiar. Uh, yeah. Um, and like just lights it up really. I mean, great shot. <sighs> like I actually wrote down 
just like bigger Martin Furk. Uh, <laughs> and look. which is which is saying something because Martin Furk is kind of a big boy. Yeah, like I mean, like Martin Furk is one of those guys who's like like five ten, five eleven ish, and like really stout, like low center of gravity. Yeah. And I think Chromiak, maybe not quite as low a center of gravity, but can absolutely bury the puck. And I think has shown, you know, he's a guy who's paid his dues all over the world um, to be drafted. And I really like that pick for the Kings. Um, yeah. And like Helga Granz, I think is a, I'm going to have something nice to say about every pick because they haven't disappointed <laughs> us yet. Yeah. Yeah. But like when I look at Helga Granz, like he's got like everything you could ever want in a defenseman. And you're just like, Oh my gosh, this guy should be spectacular. And then he's just kind of steady, like kind of yeah. unfazed. Like, and I wrote down like Tyler Myers it is mm. like kind of what his game reminds mm. me of. Like should be somebody who just like lights it up every night. But just doesn't. It's just going to kind of do his thing, and it benefits the team. Yeah, but Tyler Myers yeah, like isn't some, very popular. That's what you want in defenseman? <laughs> <laughs> Tyler Myers is his really his contribution is known more as he's tall and can skate really well. Great, but he can't defend <laughs> and he can't score. You, know, I think that's kind of the knock on Grons right now. Is like. They don't know which part of his game he wants to be better at because he kind of has the skill set to do everything right now. That's really interesting. I wonder if they want to develop him to be more offensive. Like, I want to say Alec Martinez because I think I saw him so, well, not really compared to Alec Martinez, but a little bit um, in the sense that Alec Martinez was more offensive, but Alex Martinez was this kind of really unique hybrid. So I'm wondering if that's kind of how they're looking at Grons. Maybe. And, and I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of feedback with this comparison but maybe a guy who night in, night out could either do something really defensive focused or offensive focused, kind of like Aaron Eckblad when Eckblad's playing well. <laughs> Sarah, I'm just laughing because Sarah and I were talking the other day and I'm like, wait, Aaron's, Aaron Eckblad is 24. I know. It seems like he's been around for like 20 years. And he's been 24 for each of those years. He's yes. just permanently. <laughs> but like looks like he's 34. <laughs> oh man yeah yeah like he was a man as a child <laughs> yeah poor Aaron Eckblad like, he came out of the womb with a beer and a <laughs> cigarette <laughs> right a good quality beard <laughs> but, I mean Aaron Eckblad when he was drafted I mean he had like a really high ceiling and then it just sort of all went to hell I still blame that on Florida yeah, I, same. I, I think if he had ended up on like insert competent team here, it, it would be a different story, and it wouldn't be a like, did Aaron Eckblad get drafted too high? Like, I, I think that he does have a pretty high ceiling, and Florida just 
between having like no real coaches until Joel Quenville and having no real system and no real development. Um, he played well under Gerard Gallant. <laughs> to be fair, that whole team played well under Gerard Gallant and oh, yeah. got fired for yeah. things. Wasn't that the year <laughs> that they tried fancy stats and then they had like a lot of bad luck and a lot and of in, bailed uh, on it injuries? Immediately. Yeah, yeah. They, they didn't give it time to, like, pan out. Yeah. They're like, we tried this for six months. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's like me going to the gym and being like, I didn't immediately lose all the weight I need to lose. I'm never doing this again. Like, you How have dare to be you knock my gym plan? <laughs> oh, oh, I could rag on Florida for so much longer, but I really want to talk about Brock Faber. Or <laughs> Brock Faber. Yes. Um, yes. All right, go ahead. And watching, like, clips of him, he seems so poised all the time. Mm -hmm. And it seems like he gets to do with the puck whatever he wants. Wherever he wants to put it, it goes there. And he can stick handle a little bit. He makes really clean passes. um, Is good at avoiding the forecheck. And, like, even in, like, you know, pseudo breakaway situations, like, I watched him. It, it was a game against Youngstown and, you know, coming up guys carrying a lot of speed. He's, he's the defenseman back and just kind of like guides him towards the boards. And then, you know, around the bottom of the circle as this guy's getting ready to try to cut in and make a move towards the net, even though he's a half step behind with his big reach, he just gets the stick there and stick on stick. And it, it's enough to prevent that kid from making the move towards the net and, you know, Faber forces him behind the net and it all just kind of turns into a nothing play. And like that poise, that kind of those little things, those clean passes. I wrote down Slava Voinov as a comparable. Mm-hmm. And like, mm-hmm. you know, like obviously now everyone just thinks of like, oh, he's a total piece of filth who hits women. <laughs> but, um, you know, that was one of the things mm-hmm. about the way he played is like, he was never panicked and was always just kind of where he needed to be to prevent the other team from getting anything going. And the fact that Faber's already playing that type of game, that kind of like thoughtful poised game as a teenager, I feel like is really important too, because so many times when we're talking about young defensemen, the story that we basically get is like, he's a smart player, but he doesn't really know how to be a defenseman yet which I think always makes me laugh because I'm like, how are you a defenseman and you don't know how to be a defenseman, but it just takes a little longer for them to get the whole package. And so when I see a defenseman who seems to get the whole picture at that age, I mean, same with, you know, he's not a defenseman, but talking about Quentin Byfield who already has that kind of 200 foot game developed, who already excels on anywhere you put him on the ice. If it's defense, if it's being, you know, offensive minded. And he's someone who has even kind of said, like, I didn't have to worry about playing defense until I got to the OHL. And then they made me learn how to do it. Um, But the fact that you can already do that as a teenager puts them so much ahead of the curve of anything else they need to learn. And and it, it gives them more time to focus on like, okay, if your skating stride is choppy, we can focus on that instead of having to spend all of our development time being like, hey, so maybe don't like pinch quite so much and let that guy blow past you. Um, if they're already that smart, it 
it's so much easier to work on the other little parts of their game that need tweaking because you're not having to teach them how to play that that smart kind of game. Man, like, big picture, what I love about this draft for the Kings is that they got a lot of trade capital for when they're Mm -hmm. closer to being a contender. Or it's just like, oh, this guy's showing he's a good player at this lower level. We can package him in a deal for a player yeah. uh, when we're ready to be in the playoffs. Um, And, like, I don't know if Brock Faber's that guy. I don't know if, you know, Alex Lafreyere is that guy or, or or Ben Meehan. Like, there's just – there are guys in this draft who you look like, okay, there is something that they are good at. Mm-hmm. Like, there is a, a skill that they can contribute. Yeah, I feel like whenever, you know, I'm you know following along online and everything and people are talking about the, the picks that the Kings make, I can't remember seeing any of them get the response from, like, the big prospect guys that was like, wow, this was a reach for the Kings. Like, everyone was basically like, these are all smart picks. I feel like the only one that people were a little, like, question mark about was uh, the last guy, uh, Atu Johnson, the Finnish kid, who basically had a really terrible season, had a bunch of injuries, and so people kind of thought maybe he's not even going to get drafted because he just didn't do so well. But it's a seventh-round pick. Like, if if your biggest concern is someone took a swing on a seventh-round pick, like... I think you're doing pretty darn good. And um, like you said about like the organizational depth of having the trade capital uh, that that comes up too for me, whenever there was the whole debate about Byfield versus Stutzla and do you take another center, even though you have a million center prospects and whatever, uh, because the Kings have spent quite an amount of time building up depth at the center position. And the great thing is, now, if like you said, if they get real close, if they're not a bubble team anymore and they're close to making a r- real noise in the playoffs, then maybe someone like Aiden Dudas is a, a trade bait or you don't need all the like Tyler Madden. You can flip him for someone amazing or, or whatever. Um, you, you can never have too many centers. And if you don't play them, you can use them, you know. The, the the downside of the Dean Lombardi plan was that he got rid of all of our good prospects, but the plus side was it brought us to Stanley Cups. <laughs> so you you need those guys, even if they never play for you, even if they never suit yeah, up. That Eric Tr- you can turn them into something Tr- later. Back for Ben Bishop trade really worked out well. <laughs> well, you know. Definitely. Um, <laughs> well, the whole like, six I, games of Ben Bishop. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Poor Bishop. I think there's something to be said about, like, just having a guy who's skilled at a thing. And when I look at, you know, the Kings organization, like there are so many centermen and Todd McClellan's really good skill is being able to find effective minutes for too many centermen. Like think about Mm -hmm. how many guys were centers on that San Jose team. He coached like everyone, but Mm -hmm. Patrick Marlowe. Like, (laughs) Like, and they all scored. Yeah. And like, to me, I'm not really worried about the too many centers thing. Um, Not at all. Like, (laughs) you know, um, uh, really quick, uh, just to circle back to Atu Johnson. um, When the Kings drafted Samuel Fagamo, like, I believe Mark Yannetti said like, oh, yeah, 
if we had mm-hmm. a seventh round pick the year before, we would have taken him then. Yeah. And like, I that's kind of what I feel like their thinking is with Johnson. Yeah, yeah just get him now. Well, yeah. he also, Mark Unetti said um, after the draft, he said that um, the delayed start, because they weren't really sure about him, but they, they like his upside, his potential. But um, the delayed start uh, to the season and then having the draft so late actually allowed the their scouts in Europe to get some of his, to watch some of his games. And so... Um, He's off to a really good start so far, apparently. Yeah, he yeah. has 20 points in nine games. Like, yeah, yeah, that's not too bad. <laughs> no, that's okay for, you know, having been injured most of the year last year. Yeah, and it's a under-20 team, right? So, like, a junior-level yeah. team. Yeah. Yeah, that's not half bad. I will... I'm pretty stoked on that. <laughs> like he probably yeah, won't I, I set can't... up, but if he ends up being a point to game player by the end of the season, um, I think he's. I think it's gonna look genius to draft to take a flyer on him in the seventh round. Oh, for yeah. Sure. I just I I like. There's just none of these picks that I'm like. What were you thinking? Like they all seem to make sense. They all seem to be kind of the same model of player and I know that you know after the draft Marquinetti and Rob Blake both kind of talked about in, in their media stuff about how they're they're building a team they're building a culture they're looking for players who are going to fit that mold and all of these guys seem to fit what the Kings are are doing the direction they're moving in and I just they're for all of the faults that the Kings have for everything that they've ever done that has irritated me or made me question, like, why, why do I do this? Um, their drafting the past couple years has just been fantastic. And the fact that we have had so many draft picks, like you said, that just gives us more room to be able to make moves when we need to make moves uh, and without losing someone who is, you know, without giving up a necessarily grade a prospect, um, to make the Kings better in, in the, in the short term. I just, this is just such a cool group of of kids and there's a lot of under the radar picks that I think are going to turn into something in the future instead of just petering away quietly, like many past Kings draft picks have. Or like they come up and they're just fancy stats heroes. Right. And then we (laughs) unceremoniously ship them out. Nick Shore. (laughs) Oh, my boy. Don't bring up Nick Shore. <laughs> Come on, James. Um, yeah, no, I mean, it's it's definitely an interesting draft. Um, for, for what it's worth, when Dean Lombardi was building the Kings, everybody was saying the same thing, except until 2012, when everything just kind of went off the rails draft-wise. Like, I know he had to spend a lot, in order to get the necessary pieces trading um, Jack Johnson, who may or may not be getting bought out by the penguins um, for Jeff Carter. So like that was high level genius move. Like um, I won't say that the Robin Regeer move ended up being good because Willie Mitchell played through 
terrible injuries in order to keep Robin Regeer from having to play. But, you know, the the Justin Williams trade, Mike Richards, like these are all like the low level trades that ended up working out really well. Um, the, the kids that he ended up drafting to Foley, Pearson, they really were um, big factors in that 2014 Stanley Cup. So, but it did really... I feel like after 2014, because he was trying so hard to recapture that glory, everything just completely went off the rails drafting wise. And I I love Nick Shore, but I mean, he was never going to be more than a third line center at best. Like that's a ceiling. Yeah. But it should be, it's interesting because Mark Unetti was saying um, after the draft, you know, Rob Blake has a plan. And I was telling Sarah last week, I wish he would clue us in on the plan. Like, you don't have to tell us everything. Just kind of give us the rough details of what you're looking for. It'd be so great to write about it. But for some reason, he's going all old school and keeping things close to the vest. I think the plan is what Toronto wants to do right now. And that is, oh, we need to be tough to play against. And I mean, Kyle Dubas has no filter, which is really fun (laughs) for a not Toronto Maple Leafs fan. And (laughs) like, I think I I talked about it on another podcast where it's just like after last year's draft, I'm like, oh, all the Kings prospects are just like puck hounds. That's all they do is just go Mm -hmm. get the puck. And if they don't have the puck, they find a way to go get the puck. And I yeah. felt like, you know, th- that continued, especially with the the picks in the third round with the uh, Casper Simone uh, Tavall and mm. Alex not Lafreniere, and <laughs> like those are two guys who just like their greatest asset, other than their shots, which are apparently like really great, is just like they go to where they should be and get the puck, and like I even wrote down like for Casper like. He's Blake Lazat with Mike Camilleri's shot. Ooh. And, but and if like, that works out, like, that's going to be really fun. <laughs> like, just yeah. him and Blake Lazat lined up next to each other, like, <laughs> just being a little and feisty and fun. Um, <laughs> well, one knock that I did see that people had on the, the Kings, I don't want to say it's a knock, but one thing that people were kind of saying, like, Okay, well, there go the Kings again. Like, they're um, drafting for size because everybody that they drafted, well, not everybody, because I think one kid that they drafted was, like, 5'9", which means that he's really 5'7". But, um, you know, basically almost everybody they drafted was 6' or higher, or taller, rather. You can't teach size. Ah. <laughs> Thank like, you, it, Dean Lombardi. I know it's such a cliche thing, and like I hate it, but it's true. Like Alex Turcott, he's five eleven, I think listed at like no, he's, he's not. not. The bi- <laughs> I mean, it's what he's listed at, but yeah. I, I can assure you, <laughs> yeah, like he's not that. Like w- we saw it with, um, you know, Fagamo. He's not huge. Bjornfoot is a monster. Like yes. he's a very big. Dude. Oh yeah, yeah. But like you know, like kind of looking in the depth chart a little bit like Kaliev's not six. I think he's listed at six foot, but it's probably five no, eleven. There's no way he's six foot. Yeah. Like 
maybe that was a weak point in the farm system is just having some big bodies because all those years ago the Kings drafted Dwight King and Jordan Nolan. Ugh. And that they came up at the right time for 2012. Yeah, that's true. But you know, and like, and, and like none of these kids are, I mean, aside from Byfield, who is just legitimately a huge kid, um, Granz is 6'3, which may or may not be real. And then a bunch of them clock in at like six foot, which is also probably a lie. They're probably 5'11. Um, and then Casper Simoncheval is the only one who he's 5'9. And I mean, I think that like they, it, it isn't the Dean Lombardi of like, I drafted this 6'5 player who scored one point. Um, they all, I, I think, I think the boys are just bigger in general. <laughs> they just keep getting bigger. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm not super concerned that it's like, oh, we're drafting size over skill because they're all still very skilled players. And like, like you were saying, it, it's, it's, it is that like puck hound mentality. And that's how Todd McClellan coaches this team and why people have said that the Kings are getting even harder to play against, you know, which is a little laughable because they were, you know, almost the worst team in the Pacific division, but, um, they ended the year I, with a win streak. Mm-hmm. Before yeah, the Anaheim the being the worst team. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, you know, like, when I went to um, the stadium series and the Kings somehow won that game, and I was talking to people who cover the Avalanche, and you know, now with my other podcast, too, have talked a lot with people who cover brag. the Avalanche. You are one of the best teams in the league. Yeah, humble brag, I know. Um, but talking with these people who cover a team that like I look up to and wish that like we could emulate more and, and get to that level of being a Colorado avalanche. And they're all like, we hate playing against your team because they are so irritating to play against. They are just, you know, they're, they're relentless. They're not the same Kings that they thought that they were facing. And, um, I I was just like, wow, like, what do you mean? Like, this team is not great. And they're like, no, we hate playing the Kings because they just will not let go of the puck. They want it and they will do anything to get it back. And that really does kind of seem to be a big quality that they're drafting for, especially knowing that Todd McClellan is locked in for, you know, four more years or whatever, at least. Uh, That's his style. And you, you have to find players who want to play that style and who want to be the guy to get that puck back. So I feel like this is a fun transition to Lias Anderson. Yes. Uh, because boy, do I have thoughts. <laughs> I'm actually really excited about this. I mean, they flipped a, what was it? Like a low second round pick or mid mid round. Yeah, it was the, second it was the pick. 60th pick. Yeah. 60th overall. Shh. That's nothing. And then they flipped it for freaking Lias Anderson. Like, oh my God, I'm so excited. Who like has his dad is a scout for the Kings. And his best friend is Jacob Movarare, who is a Kings prospect. And, you know, what whatever transpired between him and the Rangers, it clearly was not a good match. Nothing between them was working out well. The Rangers weren't setting him up for success. There were kind of the insinuations that he was dealing with some like personal mental health kind of stuff and some physical injuries that the Rangers system just sort of ignored or didn't really help him with. Um, I think he is motivated to 
get back to the NHL. I think he knows what skill he has. And like, I'm sure the Kings didn't do this because they employ his father, but like, do you think he's going to screw up the chance to work, to like play for the team that his dad worked? Like I would be like mortified (laughs) if my dad's team, like, got rid of me because I wasn't worth it or something. Yeah, um, but this is the <laughs> NHL. Nepotism runs yeah. deep. Yeah, so, but like, you know, the, but like, I, I think that it's it's another point in favor of him wanting to do his best whenever he gets back up to the NHL. I heard that he is probably staying in Sweden this year, which is fine, whatever. Um, but I think that he... He, I think he knows this is his chance to get back to where he wants to be, to get back to North America and to ha- play in an organization that he probably already knows through his dad, through Jacob Movarari. I'm sure he knows other Swedes who are part of the, the King system um, that he can talk to and can hopefully, knock on wood, the Kings will treat him better than the Rangers treated him and will give him a legitimate cho- give him a legitimate chance um to to really make a go of it here. Um I was excited about this. I think it's a little risky in that he has these quote unquote attitude issues or whatever that I think are just a product of playing for a system and a team that was not a good fit for him. But I, I liked it. I thought it was kinda kinda gutsy by Rob Blake to do that for such a low risk pick that yeah. could have been nothing. <laughs> um Can I, mean, I take you, you have- guys Sorry, go ahead, James. Could I take you guys back to the, I think it was the 2017 or 2018 World Junior Championships? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And Lias Anderson is the captain of that Swedish team who lose in the gold medal game. And he is the first Swedish player who's handed his silver medal and like immediately takes it off and tosses it into yep. the crowd. Like... There are, I, I look at that guy and like, I, I kind of just like, man, there was a lot of pressure that Mm -hmm. I think he's putting on himself and that expectations from other people. Yeah. And it, it, it's kind of obvious that he reaches that breaking point. Like if you look at the way he played, like, it seems like he could be one of the Fords of the Stahl brothers. Mm-hmm. Like he's somewhere in between Eric and Jordan Stahl. Like that means nothing to people who can't differentiate between any of the stalls. <laughs> There's he's like a thousand of Mark. them. They're not all not Mark. Some, uh, they're all somehow not the in bad the one. I think not Buffalo the bad was trying the two to good forwards. I don't yeah. know. Buffalo's trying to collect all the stalls like they're Pokemon. <laughs> like I don't. Honestly, I swear to God, I cannot tell any of the stalls apart, except I know that there's like 10 of them. I will say that when Anderson's at his best, he's a really good 200-foot player, tough in the face-off circle, great on the four-check. And what he was in New York was closer to Sean Avery. Well, and I mean, not him. Like... And like... You, like, if you go back and watch, like, there is a game where, like, they're losing by, like, four or five goals to Boston. And he, like, hits Patrice Bergeron up high. Like, Boston fans called it an elbow. It looked like he hit him with his back. But, like, kind of too big of a hit that late in the in a game where you're losing. Big scrum. 
And then his next shift, David Backus is just like really cross-checking him hard, trying to get him to fight and he won't fight. And like kind of that, like I'm going to irritate you, get under your skin and refuse to take responsibility for what I did. And then like, there was another game where like he fought Blake Coleman. Like that seems like a terrible idea. <laughs> like Blake Coleman, I feel like is one of those guys who's not known for fighting, but gets like crazy old man strength. Like, <laughs> and like, yeah. And like, it kind of, worked out that way and in both of them i feel like he doesn't really throw a punch until the ref steps in and then he throws a rabbit punch at the end and just like really annoying really grating like not following the code quote unquote in the nhl (laughs) and like i like i feel like maybe that's all acting out from what he had to deal with i don't know i'm not a therapist that's my wife um but like I feel like there was a reason for that kind of play from him. Cause that's not necessarily what he was. And like, he like when they asked him about it, about tossing the silver medal, he's just like, I saw a guy in the stands who wanted it more than me. This was just going to sit in a box. I wasn't going to care about a silver medal. Like there's kind of this like expectation of himself to win and be great. And that's kind of a fun thing. Yeah, especially on a Swedish squad that has been so good at World Juniors every year um, in the past recent history. Like, of course, he was under a huge amount of pressure. And like, I don't know, I don't really give a crap about like the code or or any of that. Like, I, I, I liked that. Like, obviously, you throwing the medal is not ideal, but I liked that it showed some passion. I liked that it showed... You know, I, I don't know. I, I just didn't get as bent out of shape about it as so much of the hockey world did. Like, you know, he, you could tell that, like, he wanted more from that game, from that 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 uh, World Juniors. And just, yeah, like you said, just had such high expectations of himself. Everyone around him had high expectations of him. He was a number seven draft pick. So it has that kind of you know, pedigree or expectation of you're a top 10 draft pick, you're going to be great and just hasn't been able to reach it. And like I said, like, yeah, I think, I think he's going to be really motivated to, to get over here and to do, do his best and to stick in the NHL. Um, And he's doing it with a fresh start with an organization that doesn't have the baggage of everything that went down between him and the Rangers and their AHL team. Um, it's just a brand new start for him. And this could be really great for the Kings. I mean, for what it's worth, he was what? Eight, seven, 18 years old when he did that metal thing. Sure. It was, I'll say an act of immaturity. Could he mm-hmm. have handled the situation better? You know, taking it off is one thing. Throwing it in the stands, that's probably crossing the line of sportsmanship a little bit. I'm not as hung up on hockey sportsmanship, much, you know, whatever code as as everybody else. But, like, I mean, the whole point of, like, shaking hands at the end is to show that it's a game. You can separate yourself and you can be a good sport about it. Like, that's where the expression comes from. Um I mean, yeah, that's something that you could say, all right, it was a moment of immaturity. It was a passionate moment. Like, that really doesn't bother me. If I was in his shoes, even at the age that I am now, which is not 18, 
To be honest with you, I'd probably <laughs> chuck my medal into the stands too. I work so freaking hard and there's so high expectations and the game was a little iffy in the way it was called with, in regards to the rules. Maybe some things were a little ticky tacky, but mm-hmm. hey, them's the breaks, you know? Um, like, I don't think that's as big of a deal. And I want to say this um, about the Rangers. I don't know much about the, what is it? The Hartford Wolfpack, right? Yeah, I can't. <laughs> so many teams keep changing their AHL teams. Uh, Chicago, uh, so I can't keep up. But they, the Rangers, especially Elaine Vigneault, they've had a lot of trouble in the last few years developing strong young players. And the thing is, like, once you get into the NHL, now you're, you're, you're ex the expectations of you change and AV has a reputation fair or not fair, but he has a reputation for being very bad when it comes to young players and handling their development. No. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I never, (laughs) but you know, Todd McClellan, he is at least, in the last year that we've had him, he looks pretty good at the way he's been handling everybody's minutes and handling the Kings' development of of their younger prospects. I think it's one of those things. Todd McClellan is no frills, and he just mm-hmm. laid out his expectations so plainly. And, like, it's kind of just like, hey, if you do this thing, you get rewarded. If you don't, bye. And... Like, he really, he has a great sense of the game Mm -hmm. that I feel like he doesn't get enough credit for, Um, where he kind of just, I mean, I I can't remember, like, when he was coaching in San Jose, like, Sharks fans would get so mad. They're like, oh, he keeps, like, flipping around, like, who's at center and who's on wing on which line and and why why do they keep changing who takes face-offs in situations? I'm like, I think that's just kind of, McClellan going with like mm-hmm. the rhythm, the feel. And that's one of the things I kind of like about him is that he's very stern, but he kind of like digs the art of coaching a little bit. Yeah. Tough yeah, but fair. Yeah. And I, yeah. I think you know where you stand with him. And oh, I, sure. I think that like the, 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 the one example that I kind of keep thinking about is um, Matt Roy who at the beginning of the season, the first like eight games or something, he was just real bad to the point where like I specifically said on a podcast, either this one or my own, I basically was like, I have seen enough of Matt Roy. I'm ready for him to like go back to the HL and like think about his life a little bit. At that same time that I was like kind of over him, it came out later that Todd McClellan sat down with him and basically was like, I need you to do X, Y, and Z. And if you want to stay in the NHL, that's what you need to do. And Matt Roy immediately, like, picked up on what he was being told, buckled down, and shifted his game. And now he is a regular, everyday defenseman for the Kings. All because Todd McClellan had an honest conversation with him about what his expectations were and what he needed to change. And because he had the maturity to make those changes and to not just kind of brush it off or or whatever. Um, I, I think that he is, I, I, th- I think like if you're a player, especially if you're new to this league, 
I feel like you probably can't ask for much more than having a coach who is just straightforward with you. And you know, every step of the way, like he sat down with Tyler Toffoli and was like, Hey, so what's up? You kind of stink right now. Like, and then Toffoli turned it around. Like I, you need to have those conversations as uncomfortable as it might be, especially with a veteran player. Like I need to know that the guy coaching the team is going to have those conversations. And it seems like he does. And no passive aggressiveness because Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. as all the things that Daryl Sutter brought the LA Kings, man, was he passive aggressive, (laughs) (laughs) especially with the media, (laughs) especially with Dustin Brown. Oh God. And Drew Doughty. But I mean, that was, what worked for Sutter and worked for the King. See, I mean, Sutter is the type of guy who you want in the playoffs because honest to God, except for Joel Quenville and John Cooper, there aren't really any coaches when it comes to the X's and O's of a game that I would put ahead of Daryl Sutter. Daryl Sutter is a chess master on another level which is why everybody was so in love with that 2014 Chicago um, <laughs> LA series. I mean, oh, gosh, yeah, it was intense. It was two grandmasters just going at it, doing their best. And it came down to the flukiest of fluky goals, which of course is what it mm-hmm. was. It was going to come down to. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's, in terms of X's and O's, I really would not put anything or I would put very few people ahead of Sutter, but his execution of strategy and the way he wanted it done, that was always a little too old school, we'll say. Well, yeah, and I think, you know, the Kings needed that a little bit when, you know, they fired Terry Murray. And yeah, I heard that Murray Murray was kind of soft. I mean, hockey soft, you know, Yeah, like from all accounts, he's a super nice guy who is like a purely X's and O's guy. And like, maybe you could say the same thing about John Stevens and like Um, brilliant tactician understands the game, but maybe isn't the best at like, you know, holding players accountable. mm -hmm. And. (laughs) What I feel like what the Kings have with Todd McClellan is a balance of those things. Yeah. And like, I'm, I'm going to take it back to 2014 again. And it was the morning of game five of that first round series. And, or yeah, morning of game five. And someone in the media asks him like, Oh, like, can you relax a little bit knowing you have a three, one lead and you have three chances to beat the Kings. And he just like looked at him and just like it was supposed to be kind of like a lighthearted, like <laughs> like most people had stopped, like, you know, their recorders at that point. And he was like walking out of the room and he just looked at like dead in the eyes and goes, we have one chance to beat this team oh. and walked out. And like he was right. Mm-hmm. And like he doesn't get enough credit, I feel like, for just kind of like having that innate hockey sense as a coach. And I mean, I I think people kind of want to like sandbag him a little bit for how things went in Toronto or I'm sorry, not Toronto, Edmonton uh, of the other vicious market for media. (laughs) And um, like who has 
like the coach isn't the issue in Edmonton. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it just isn't. But there's too many. Yeah, issues I remember like to that. diagnose in Edmonton. Yeah, yeah. And... I, like I, I remember when the Kings first announced that they were hiring Todd McClellan, and you know, we I talked to people who covered the Oilers about him. I talked to people who covered the Sharks about him, and I feel like the general feedback I got from the Oilers was like, you could have had the best coach in the world. You could it could have been like the second coming of like Scotty Bowman or something coaching that Oilers team with like Connor McDavid and like nineteen dudes, and you wouldn't have gotten anything better out of them than than like Todd McClellan did like yeah it, it just he wasn't the problem there and the Oilers haven't exactly you know risen out of their uh not so great state the cesspool of mediocrity right <laughs> like Connor McDavid and Dreisaitl cover a multitude of sins yeah uh, could you imagine the Oilers without them? Yeah. It, it, yeah. I've seen when they it. had it's Taylor like, Hall. and <laughs> It's like every year of the Oilers before drafting Connor McDavid. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, so speaking of first-round picks, that wasn't really speaking of, but... Uh, Quentin Byfield and Mark Unetti kind of hinted that it didn't really come down to Stutzla and Byfield, but it came down to a tier of players. So it, it could have been many other players. A lot of people were saying that Stutzla was really only the third or fourth best player in the draft. Byfield was the fifth best player in the draft, but the Kings really liked Byfield because he, well, first of all, he's large. Um, Secondly, he plays center and he could maybe potentially be NHL ready ish, depending on a variety of factors. But I don't think so. I mean, it it, basically Mark Unetti was saying it kind of came down to, it was neck and neck in the end. But Byfield won out by the slimmest of margins based solely on Rob Blake's grand plan, whatever that is. Um, I got to admit, as much as I love Byfield and his talk's super adorable, love the bow tie, I was slightly disappointed because, like, everybody was saying how much of a smart player that um, Stutzla is. And then it's like, oh, well, now you have Andre Kopitar 2.0 and Quinton Byfield. Man, I when I look at Byfield's game, 
like my f- initial reaction wasn't Kopitar. It was, oh, that's Joe Thornton. Mm. And like, mm. he's a mm. guy, who, like he's so huge. He's mm. so big. And I mean, he's one of the youngest players in this draft. He just, he's raw. Like he's a little raw. Like mm-hmm. Lafreniere is pretty darn polished. Same with Stutzla. And like, when I look at Byfield, I'm just like, okay, he just requires a little bit more work to get to that next level, uh, you know, to, to be a, a, a regular, consistent professional. And I think, you know, giving him a chance to maybe be the captain of Team Canada at the World Juniors, mm-hmm. whenever that might be held, um, <laughs> would be a really good opportunity for him to showcase the kind of leader he is. And I mean... He talked about being becoming really good friends with Akil Thomas, mm-hmm. um, and, and there's there's something nice about Byfield's game in that he's maybe the one guy in this prospect pool that the Kings have who isn't the puck hound, mm-hmm. but when he has the puck, it's not coming off of his stick, and like great, let other guys do that, and then we can give it to him, and he can do what he wants with it. Um, and I just, man, like, I really like Byfield Stutzla. I, I also really liked, uh, I, people called him Patrick Kane. I, for me, it, he just seemed kind of like Ew. a more north-south Matthew Barzal. Mm. Um, I'm okay, sorry. I'm better. Playing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, I mean, I, there's a lot to like about Byfield. And uh, I heard Mark Yannetti, I think it was on, on, the the Jesse Cohen's podcast where he talked about taking Braden Shen over Nazem Kadri. And he just goes, yeah, there was just like an indescribable it factor with Shen. And we just went with that. And like, maybe it comes down to that it factor. I mean, Byfield was rocking that tux and that bow tie like a freaking champ. And maybe there's that little bit of just like cleverness to him, to his personality that can contribute to the culture in a way mm-hmm. that the Kings really like. I think, I think there was a quote, I think it was from Yanetti talking about the, the difference, talking about the two of them, Byfield and Stutzla. And I think that he said like, it basically like Byfield makes everyone around him better. Stutzla makes everyone around him happier. Like it's just personal, like personality wise. It's just two different, like, it, it, I feel like it's, it's even hard to compare them because they're two different guys with two different skill sets, two different styles. And it really did just come down to what do the Kings need? What's going to fit this rebuild plan best. And, and I like the fact that he, you know, there, there's other guys, uh, Lafreniere aside who everyone knows is just going to step into the NHL next year. Um, whenever that happens, you know, there's other guys who might make the NHL before Byfield. There's other guys who could be ready now uh, to play. And maybe he gets an extra year in the OHL. He gets his, you know, nine games with the Kings and then they send him, send him back to to Sudbury or whatever. But I, I feel like he is someone, you know, when you look at the guys that he's getting compared to Kopitar, Joe Thornton, I hear of Evgeny Malkin a lot. These are guys who have had, long, long careers in the NHL and still perform at an elite level, even as they've aged, like 
Joe Thornton can't move anymore, and yet he still is making ridiculous passes to his teammates to set them up for goals. <laughs> like, if we have 40-year-old Quentin Byfield who can't hardly skate anymore, but is setting up, like, you know... A 55-year-old Kopitar? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> but, yeah, like, if, if that's what we have, like, I cannot complain about that at all. Like, the, the Kings could be set for the next 15 years down the middle with him. Just like, you know, Kopitar made his debut in 2006 and still is basically the best player on this team. Um, If we get that out of Quentin Byfield, if we get something even approaching that out of him, like this team is set for the future until they trade away everyone to win like two more (laughs) Stanley Cups. Well, you know, it's interesting, um, especially with the Thornton comparison. Thornton doesn't score. Thornton doesn't shoot. Thornton makes these passes that are just like, even with that crazy beard and distracted, maybe everybody was distracted by the crazy beard, but like even being like 40 plus or however old he is, like he's still making elite passes. I think he has over a thousand points and most of them are assists because he's so good at dishing the puck. And whenever, whenever he scores, it's funny because I follow a lot of um, Sharks writers. So whenever he scores, there's a little bit of sarcasm. People are like, oh, wow, look at that. Jumbo managed to score. Yeah. Well, like, in comparison to Byfield, like, Byfield does shoot the puck. He had 33 goals. And, like, last night in the draft coverage, they showed in the World Junior, uh, I think it was a warm-up game, like, Lafreniere gives him a pass and he's in front of the net and he like goes stick between his legs to lift it over the goalie's blocker. And like there's something really creative and kind of like carefree or loosey goosey or just like exciting to Byfield's game. That is like it's just like it's a charismatic game in the offensive zone, if that makes any sense with the words I just used. Kind of. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, it, it, like, it just it feels like he's just going to be fun to watch, like to watch him make things happen, even if he doesn't even end up on the score sheet, like to 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 get to see how he impacts the play and impacts the players around him, I think is just going to be really important. For sure. Speaking of impacting those around him, can I talk about the best part of the first round draft coverage? Absolutely. Oh, that was angry Craig Button. <laughs> and how he would just eat into Pierre Maguire airtime. And like it it was the best. He's the best dressed dude in all of media and or of hockey media and just would get so angry at seemingly random moments. Like when Winnipeg was about to pick Cole Perfetti, he's just screaming, just take the best available player. Just take him. Take him. <laughs> he's screaming it's, what it's like it's like the equivalent of like all of us sitting around yelling shoot on like a power yes. play, like the draft <laughs> analyst version of that. Yeah. It, it's funny. Cause a lot of the, the writers and, and people who are covering various teams, they were just like, why will you not take the best available player? Why won't you do it? <laughs> like they were just kind of yelling that into cyberspace and, but Craig button was yelling it. IRL and just like saying what we all wanted to say. Oh man. 
also, how good was it looking at the Ducks draft room and it was just cubicles and only shades of beige and gray? And That's very Anaheim, though. And then they have like they have like a video intro to like a million people saying the pick is in. And I was very confused. Oh, my by God. It. And then Bob Murray has zero enthusiasm with two confused men behind him holding jerseys <laughs> like, oh, gosh, like, oh, feed that to me with grapes. Oh, wait, yes. Wait, but, but did you see the Leafs? Morgan Riley. And, yeah. uh... like a hostage situation <laughs> and, then, and then he just like looks like off camera real quick he's like we're taking them like he didn't like they hadn't told him uh, I guess apparently they did have a really good trade offer at the last minute that they decided not to take supposedly but oh gosh that was so good I just, oh. Morgan Riley with the stash in the background looking like he wanted to be literally anywhere else that was just <laughs> Oh my god, so funny! Like, what is going on? Oh. And I, I feel like the ducks one like really epitomized the problems that like people friends I have who are ducks fans. Unfortunately, I have a handful of friends who are ducks fans. I don't know how this happened, um, but the problems that they have when they talk about the team of just how bad they are, how bad the ducks organization is at like doing anything to get you excited about that team. And I feel like their their appearance in the draft really just kind of showed that off. I feel like they the last thing the Ducks did that was deaf. like, yeah, completely. Like, I feel like the last thing they did that was exciting was when they, what was like, they retired. Made up tweets at social media night. Well, yeah, that, yes. Oh. Um, no, when they were, didn't they like, re they retired Paul Korea's number or yeah. something like and like that was really well done and like the social media and everything leading up to that was, yeah, it was. like top notch which is great for a player like Paul Korea but like everything else like I couldn't tell you anything about any Young's duck, Young Ducks players other than the one guy who scored all the goals in the shootout for the United States that one year in juniors and like <laughs> Trevor Zegris, who I know a bunch about just because he's BFFs with Alex Tricot. Like, they just don't, <laughs> they, they just don't understand how to do their jobs. And it's very frustrating. I don't even like the team and I'm annoyed by it. <laughs> oh, yeah. If yeah. you're not literally physically in Anaheim and not Anaheim Hills, not like any of the surrounding Orange County cities in Anaheim near the Honda Center then you have no idea about the ducks because like as soon as you cross the train tracks and you go over by Disneyland, the ducks just evaporate. Even people know more about the angels than they do about the ducks. Well, to be fair, the ducks don't have Mike Trout. <laughs> um, no, but they have a lot I'm of sure good young I'm talent. Sure yeah. I'm sure he could be a hockey player if he wanted to, because I feel like <laughs> Mike Trout is just quietly good at everything. Yeah, yeah. He, oh gosh, he's, <laughs> the guy's got like USDA prime for a neck. It's just <laughs> unreal. Anyways, um, I'm really glad that we can now talk about the most important part of this podcast episode, which is uh, Tyler Toffoli didn't resign with Vancouver. So bring Dodger Sad. home. Yes. 
Maybe he'll take like a really, really big discount to come back. I don't know where we're going to put him, but like Vancouver's so Vancouver fans are so mad about this because it basically means that they gave away Tyler Madden and a pick for literally nothing. Yeah, and they didn't resign Troy Stetcher. They didn't Mm -hmm. even attempt to assign uh, resign Stetcher, and that's what they're maddest about. Like they they, might not be able to resign Jake for Tannen. Mm-hmm. I know, but the, so like basically the organization was like, "Hey, we got a flat cap, um, SOL. Sorry, nothing you can do, nothing we can do. We can't sign you because we got to go sign our goalie." Well, and they're also paying and like Louis Erickson like eight Lawrence. billion dollars a year or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> What'd you say, James? Uh, and maybe trade for Oliver Ekman Larson. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. He's going to Boston for Tory Krug. Well, Krug's a free agent, right? Yeah, well, yeah, that's true. Well, yeah, I, don't, I have it's no idea what Boston is doing for for Arizona. I, you know, it's funny. I have some friends who are Boston fans, and they just kind of like hung their head and just was like, "I, I don't know." Boston just completely galaxy brained the entire draft. <sighs> yeah, they do that. <laughs> Pretty well. <laughs> and I, I was trying to be optimistic with my friend. And I said, well, hey, I guess only time will tell and see which of these is going to be the next David Posternock. Just crickets. <laughs> I was like, look, at the time, David yes. Posternock kind of looked like a reach. So, you know, you, you never know. I'm trying to be optimistic yeah. for them. I just. Really <laughs> I like. They didn't have a first round pick, right? Because that was went to the Ducks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for yeah. Um, Andre Kasha. Yeah, and then okay, Mason Lorey. Okay, I think he could be a, a pretty good player. Um, I think they only had like three or four Antar, picks in this draft. Antar, Antar. I hope I don't say that one wrong. Did they take Jamie Langenbrunner's kid? All I know is that they took two kids named Mason. Ugh. <laughs> Ugh that's just the most Boston thing possible. Just, <laughs> oh, National we got Mason like and Steve. <laughs> All right. Well, why don't we wrap this up? Um, we only got one question, and basically, what letter grade would you assign? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna guess that you you guys are both A's. That is a fair guess. Ah. Uh... A minus? I'll go A minus. <laughs> I'll temper my expectations. As much as I love mm-hmm. Quentin Byfield and, and some of their other prospects, I'm going to go with A minus. Just because, I mean, I love what they did. I, I like a lot of what they did, but um, well, maybe we'll give it an A because they flipped the 60th overall pick for Lyce Anderson. If he, if he pans out with the Kings, who are really good at developing centers, but for some reason really terrible at developing wingers, and he could be a really good get for the Kings. Yeah, he could. He really could. That's a big wild card, and it's fun. Yeah. Well, it wouldn't be the Kings if they didn't take on a reclamation project. But, like, he's 21. Yeah, like, he's still a baby, basically. Already. (laughs) 
Oh, okay. I thought you were like, oh, he's old. I was like, excuse you. Jack Campbell was like 25 when they took him on. Yeah. <laughs> oh, like, Jack Campbell. I miss him. Uh, he's just the best. Um, You know, Kyle Clifford also did not resign with the Toronto Maple Leafs. So he's going to be... We don't have... We also... Speaking of free agency, we lost Trevor Lewis to free agency. He wants to go to a contender. Yeah. I like, uh, for whatever reason, I feel like Trevor Lewis or Kyle Clifford could fit well on Winnipeg. Like in, in their yeah. fourth line. Maybe with and... Jason DeMello. There's I'm a... just waiting for them to go to Ottawa. <laughs> They're all just going to go to Ottawa. Because oh, Ottawa no. has no players. Did, but well, did Ottawa, Ottawa got... get kind of good? A... Eh. Matt Murray. I feel like the reviews I keep hearing of their draft is like everyone likes their first two picks and then the rest of their draft was just a total mess. <laughs> well, you know, I heard that a lot of people didn't like their fifth pick because they were like, this kid's going to be available later in the draft. What are you doing? Like he was a reach, apparently. I don't know. That's Pete what. All. Well, that's what certain know-it-all people said. <laughs> I mean, like, gosh, man, like, I don't know. There's something about Ottawa that I just, I'm so intrigued by right now. And of course, they will blow it up in three years. Like, <laughs> like as soon as, as uh, uh, their owner has to pay any money, like, see you later. But, um, right. I don't know, Pierre Dorian, kind of fun. What, 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 could be happening there in uh, in Ottawa. I mean, they still have Colin White for a long time. Oh my gosh, I'm looking at Cap Friendly. Yeah, and oh. they just re-signed their best prospect, who was an incredible standout at World Juniors. Was it last year? The year before? Uh, I Josh don't know. Morris? No, no, no. Um, mm, he has Shabbat? like a French name. Thomas Shabbat. Oh, yeah. yeah, Shabbat. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's on a huge deal. Oh, yeah. But, you know, in four years, he's like going to get traded or bought out or something. And it will go to the Sharks. Speaking of uh, buyouts, Nashville, the heck are you doing, friends? All my <laughs> Nashville friends are just like depressed. Oh, man. I kind of I dig it. In a, in a certain way, because like, I feel like David Poyle was going to be tempted to do the Dean Lombardi thing. I'm just like, mm-hmm. oh, but we're so close, and we have to get. And he's like, nope, I have to, I have to cut the cord, I have to pull the ripcord, and and just just go, just lean into it, despite how much it very much hurts. No, but I mean, come on, you bought out. He traded Nick Bonino, and then. He acquired Luke Cunnan, who is not very good, and he bought out Kyle Turris, who was going to be on their cap for eight years. Yeah, like Mike Richards' <laughs> cap recapture. That's their own stupid fault for signing Kyle Turris like to such a big deal in the first place. Like yep. they should have. They they that's that's them having to fall on their own sword because of their own <laughs> mistakes. My favorite Nashville thing is that they drafted one of my favorite USHL players, Gunnar Wolf Fontaine. Yes. Oh. Second best name in the draft. I will not hear otherwise. Oh, that's right. You're you're the Bronberg fan, right? 
Well, yes, but I'll tell you why later. Not on the podcast. Well, Uh I guess because I was... Okay, so here's the thing. Um, (laughs) Logan, who is from Defending Big D, she has a billet kid named Broenberg. And he is a huge Kings fan. And he's in... um, He's Danish. And he's in the uh, Portland Winterhawks organization. So I was like, hey, wouldn't it be fun if the Kings with a lower round pick took the pers- took the kid who was like their biggest fan? And he's draft eligible. And I think he was ranked. He was expecting to go today, possibly. But unfortunately, it didn't pan out for some of her kids. So that's my Broenberg story. Yeah. I mean, draft el- eligible next year. Or maybe he's just the next uh, Tyler Johnson. Yeah, you never know. But anyway. Um, back Tyler to... Johnson might get traded. Yeah, no, well, you know, they might let Stamkos walk. Tampa Bay. Well, they'd have to trade him or buy him out because he's still or... got like four years left. Oh, right. Well, okay, so there was... They won't say Breezewatt, Julian Breezewatt will not say if they're going to absolutely 100% protect Steven Stamkos next year. Now, he could just be teasing the media, but you never know. I mean, they won the Stanley Cup with him only playing three minutes. Hey, he's got a 100% shot rate in this Stanley Cup final, man. (laughs) Yes, he does. If you're you're the Kraken, how can you turn that down? Oh, man. Oh man, Seattle Kraken captain Steven Stamkos. Now oh, I actually yeah. want that. But he has a no move clause. But gosh, that would be so much fun for him. He could wave it for the. Well, actually, he couldn't. Never mind. Actually, like Braden Point might be exposed because they have yeah, so many Braden forwards Point. with no trade, no move clauses. Mm-hmm. Seattle I Kraken mean, yeah, like, captain yeah, like, Braden Point. Yeah, like they could make they could make Stamkos wait because like you know Vegas made or. Pittsburgh made Flurry wave his no move yeah. clause to go to Vegas. That was so, a like, trade. That wasn't. No, that was the. No, that was the expansion draft. Yeah, well, I know, but they technically Flurry. traded um, Flurry to to Vegas. No, no, that was the. He was drafted. Oh, he, he was. was? Yeah, yeah, he was their pick in the expansion draft. I think they threw in a third round pick so that they would take. Yeah, they made like pick. a separate deal. Yeah, they made like a separate deal to ensure that they took him but oh right it's okay. technically That's part of the expansion yeah. draft yeah so like theoretically the lightning could ask steven stamkos to waive his uh no move clause to make him available to be picked by vegas or to be picked by seattle which would be huge now i want that because that would be like mass chaos and it would make it would be <laughs> it would be like Mark Andre Fleury 2.0. Of oh like, my god. I don't know if Lightning well fans could player. handle it though. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I think that's enough for tonight. Um, I want to thank you so much for my all my listeners, everybody who has subscribed. Thank you, of course, to Sarah and James Knowledgeable, as always, and you make me sound so much smarter in comparison. So thank you for that. Um, I don't think that I will be doing a podcast for free agent frenzy unless they land like a really big name. Cause I think Taylor Hall and Taylor Hall. 
They can't afford to pay Taylor Hall. They have like only Colorado can. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks again to Sarah and James. Uh, Yeah. Thanks, and my, and of course, thanks again to my listeners. You guys are all awesome. So, goodbye, everybody. Bye. You when the season starts up again, I guess, or talk to you rather. Bye, podcast.